Welcome to the New Life Philly podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Amen. Well, today we're going to jump into the Word of God once again. We're back in Mark and we'll be looking at Mark. Ooh. I have, I have a clicker today. I love that. Um, we're looking at Mark chapter 7, and we'll turn to that in, in just a moment. Um, but I, I wanted to teach you, many of you, a new word. Um, some of you may know the word already. The word is ceremony. Ceremony. Say it out loud. Say ceremony. Ceremony. Now, if you know what ceremony is, you can raise your hand right now. Okay, not many people know what ceremony is. Ceremony is earwax. It's that nasty gunk that when it comes out, you just have to look at it for a little while. But it's just, it's nasty stuff, right? But but ceremony is there for a reason. Earwax, earwax is there for a reason, and it helps keep bacteria out of our ears, keeps us from infections, does a lot of good stuff, but sometimes it can do bad stuff when it gets impacted, and it can cut down on our hearing. Somebody say amen if you heard me. Amen. Yeah, there you go. Um, but, but we're going to encounter in the Word of God today a man who is deaf and mute. Um, in the United States, less than one half of one percent of people suffer from uh, being deaf. In, in the world, about five percent of the population suffers from deafness. Much more in developing countries, and not just because of genetics or older age, uh, a lot of easily treated childhood diseases and things uh, can cause young people to go deaf around the world. Here's an interesting statistic I came across, um, and, and this is a United States statistic, but more than twice as many men are either deaf or suffer hearing loss than women. Amen? Wives are saying, yeah, I get that, I get that. Uh, I, I counseled a family one time, and, and I'm not a doctor, but I have a diagnosis. He had SHL, selective hearing loss. And whenever his wife would say something that he didn't like, he would, he would say, what'd you say? <laughs> Some of us have selective hearing loss. But actually, not being able to hear, can you even imagine going through life without your sense of hearing? It's hard to even imagine for those of us who are able to hear. But God, one day, there will be no more loss of hearing. Amen. Everyone will hear and everyone will shout praises to the Lord. Let's stand up together as we look into God's Word, Mark chapter 7. And we'll be starting at verse 31. Oh, I'm waiting for someone to click it. That would be me. Okay, have I turned it on? No. It's now turned on. Yes. And I'm clicking. Thank you, Jesus. Getting happy already. Amen. Amen. So let's read God's word together. By the way, we're going to come to, uh, in verse 34, a uh, an Aramaic word. It's a faculty. 
Ephaphatha. So when we get there, we're all not just speaking in tongues. We'll say Ephaphatha. That's the Aramaic word. So let's read starting at verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre, went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took them aside, Jesus put his finger into the man's mouth. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, A fact, which means your And I can't make this thing move now. Try it again. No idea what's going on. Oh, there you go. If you have your Bible, continue to read with me. In verse 35, the scripture says, At this, the man's ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to doubt anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Today, I'm going to be talking on the subject, preaching on the subject, empowered to hear, called to listen, empowered to hear, and called to listen. And the simple outline for today is this, the manner of the miracle, how Jesus does what he does, the meaning of the miracle, what it means then and now, and finally the application of that miracle to our lives. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful and grateful for your good hand at work in our lives. We ask, oh God, that you will do your work of opening every ear that we might hear you more clearly in order that we might live out our calling as your children in a way that brings great glory to your name. Use this time now and be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the first thing I want to do today is just walk through the manner of the miracle. How did Jesus do exactly what he did? And we're just going to walk through the verses kind of one by one or bit by bit and look at how he actually does this miracle. And so we start in verse 31 where it says, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. The first thing I want you to see is that he did this miracle once again in a mostly Gentile region. Last week, Chris was preaching and he preached about the Syrophoenician woman, again, a Gentile woman in a Gentile region. And here is Jesus going around Israel.
Israel who would map out the route to get from uh, where he is in Tyre to go through Sidon and around the Sea of Galilee and into the Decapolis. He is going on the outskirts around where most of God's people are gathered. He is going into desert regions. He is going into largely Gentile regions. We see this uh, in this section of the scripture with Jesus. And it is different, isn't it? Because we see it other times, and even with the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus says, I can't give the children's bread to dogs. I came for the people of Israel. And yet, he ends up in Samaria, he ends up in Nicopolis, he ends up in Tyre, he ends up in these different places. I want you to see the significance of the fact that Jesus is going consistently to people who are being rejected by the called people of God. He's going to the rejected people. He's going to the people who don't even need to hear the word according to many, according to the Pharisees and others. They don't need to hear it because it's not for them. Jesus says, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. He did it in a mostly Gentile region. And secondly, he did it at the request of people. Look at the next verse. He says, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. Jesus responds to what the people are asking him to do. Jesus was making a house call. And when the people said, help us here, heal our brother, heal our friend, Jesus is responding to that in this miracle. How many of you know that Jesus is still taking requests? Amen. Jesus is still listening to the cries of his people. Jesus is still hearing the cries of his family, of his loved ones. And he is waiting to hear that from us. Oh, my Lord, that we would be a praying people who are seeking God, who are asking from God. Jesus listens to the voice of the people. He hears the request. Thirdly, he did it away from the crowd. Look at the first part of verse 33. It says, after he took him aside away from the crowd. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus did it away from the crowd. There's a crowd of people. They're asking him to heal this man who is deaf and mute. Nothing like this had ever happened. We don't see this type of miracle in the Old Testament. We don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament. This is a unique miracle. And here is Jesus on the stage before all the people and he says, I got to do this over here. I'm going to take this to the side. This is not a miracle show we're putting on. This is not building the J brand right now. This is not me trying to show folk, look what I can do. This is not that at all. This is, this is Jesus responding to the prayer and the call of people to have compassion and heal a man who is in deep need. And he takes him to the side. My God, this is not the spirit of our age, is it? We want to make sure if we do it, we do it in front of the camera. We do it and make sure you get the video. Amen. And, and we'll change the volume on the video so you make sure you get it all. Jesus says no. Jesus says no. Let me do this away from the crowd. Yeah. Fourthly, look at this. He touched 
his ears and tongue. The second part of verse 33, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. First thing he does, puts his fingers in his ears. Now, they had asked Jesus in their prayer request to touch this man. They were asking him that because they believed that through his touch, the man would be healed. Jesus, we see many times, heals without a touch. Sometimes he heals a person that's not even in his vicinity and just tells them, your, your daughter is healed. She's not even here, but she's healed now. But Jesus responds specifically to their prayer request. And, and this was a way that often would happen in these regions where there would be touch and healing together. We see in the New Testament even when we're called as elders to lay hands on people and anoint them with oil and they will be made well. So there's a, a touching that happens here. He touches the ears to say, uh, we want this man to hear. And then he does something that we might think is a little bit nasty, y'all. Come on, you can be honest. He spits probably on his fingers and asks the man who can hear now, stick out your tongue. <laughs> and he touches his tongue with his spittle, with his fingers. That sounds a little bit nasty, but let me tell you, if I couldn't talk and now I can talk, you can spit on my tongue if you want to. Amen. Amen. Jesus touches this man. There's physical proximity. There's a touch from God in his life. Many of us need that touch from our God. And then number five, it says he looked up to heaven and sighed. Jesus, as he's touching this man, now looks up to heaven. He's looking to his father. And he lets out a sigh. Now that's interesting. Because we, we've got to recognize and realize that Jesus Christ is the one, he is God and man. But Philippians 2 tells us that he made himself nothing. Even though he was in the, he was God, in very nature God, he made himself nothing. Verse 7 of Philippians 2, in, in, in another translation, the ESV, it says, he emptied himself. Emptied himself of what? He emptied himself of his divine prerogatives. Jesus said, I'm not going to act independently as a man and just do my thing. He is relying on the Father and the Spirit to do the work of God through His humanity. Jesus comes as a man. He divests Himself of His prerogatives as God. And so when Jesus is healing this man and when He's healing anyone else, when He's walking on the water, when He's raising the dead, He's not doing that out of His own power. He's able to do it because He's synced up with the Father and the Spirit. And Jesus moves in that power. This is spiritual warfare. He sighs. He sees the heaviness of the reality of this broken man in this broken world. We were just singing a few minutes ago and we can sing of the goodness of our God and we can see the vestiges of his salvific move in our lives and in the world. But if we'll be honest, we also see the ravages of sin all around us. Yeah. 
and the fallenness and the desperateness of the place where we live. And Jesus sees this man in his desperate need. He sees the work of the enemy in his life and he sighs as he looks to his father. Then the scripture says, he speaks this word, Ephaphatha, in Aramaic. Aramaic being the spoken language of that region. It's the, it's the preferred language there. Jesus probably knew four languages. He knew Hebrew, he knew Aramaic, he knew Greek, and most likely he also knew Latin. So he knows four different languages, but he's in a region where Aramaic is the normal spoken language. And we see this over and again in Mark, that Mark will use these Aramaic words and translate them into English, which means be open. He does this because Mark is writing his gospel particularly to uh, Christians in Rome who spoke Latin, probably didn't speak Aramaic. And so he translates these Aramaic words so they get it. Why is this important? It's important because of this. And, and Mark records it this way. Jesus and God is always accommodating himself to humanity in his saving work. That's what the incarnation is about. That's what this word is about, this Bible that you have in your hands. God spoke in human language through writers. He did it initially in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic, but he speaks in human languages. We're able to translate it into all kinds of languages around the world. God wants to be known. And he accommodates himself to that. I love the fact that the New Testament was written not just in Greek, not in some highfalutin uh, classical Greek language that was not uh, common to the people, but it was written in what's called Koine Greek, the street language that's going on in the whole of the Roman, um, the, the Roman area. So that people can understand and see what God is doing. He speaks in Aramaic. So that is the manner of the miracle. The next thing I want to look at is the meaning of the miracle. Number one, God's great command is for his people to hear him. God wants his people to hear him. That's behind me, not in the middle, but on the sides. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, the Lord is one. The Shema from Deuteronomy from uh, the, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6:4. God is speaking to his people in such a way that he wants them to hear him. Hear, O Israel, hear, people of God. The Lord is always seen in the scripture as a speaking God. He is consistently from beginning to end. He is speaking to his people. You know the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he create? God creates the heavens and the earth by his speech. 
Vayomer Elohim Yehior Vayehior. That's Genesis one three. Uh, and, and God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. God spoke, and it came into existence. We have a speaking God. John one one picks up on the Genesis narrative about Jesus, and it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." Verse 14, and we beheld his glory, glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is Jesus Christ, the living word of God. God is a speaking God. John chapter 10 is the great chapter about Jesus as being uh, the the shepherd of his people, the gatekeeper of his people. And in verses uh, 3 through 5, it tells us that Jesus says that, that, that my sheep, hear my voice. They they won't follow another one. They don't understand that voice. But my sheep hear my voice. They're not going to follow someone else. God is a speaking God. Throughout the Gospels, we see this spoken over and over again. These words, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You see that seven times in the Gospels. And then in the book of Revelation, seven times as he's writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. God is a speaking God. Then many people, one of their favorite scriptures from Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's an interesting phrase there. When when, when I looked at that, I thought it would probably use the word logos, like it uses in John 1.1, which means word. But it uses another word. It uses the word rhema. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the, the, the Ramos Christu, the word of Christ. Ramos is different than Logos because what Rhema means is that is the spoken word that is being spoken in a time, in a place. God is a speaking God. He speaks and calls us to hear. Thirdly, the Old Testament prophesies of a sign of this as a sign of the kingdom age. We see this in Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. The Old Testament prophesies that this is a sign of the kingdom age. There are so many different miracles in the Old Testament that, that mirror some of the miracles in the New Testament. We've seen that in Mark's gospel over and over again. How Jesus is the new Moses. How Jesus is the new Joshua. How Jesus is the greater Elijah and Elisha. He does their miracles, but even in greater ways. But this is a miracle we never see in the Old Testament. We don't see this miracle. But we see in Isaiah 35, these words, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. 
Read that chapter of Isaiah 35. Look at what your future is, people of God, and get happy in Jesus. Amen. Amen. There is a glorious future that awaits. But Isaiah is writing 700 to 750 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, when Messiah comes, things are going to happen. Things are going to kick off. Oh, it's going to be something when Messiah comes. And one of the things he says, that last line in verse 6, the mute tongue will shout for joy. That, that's a word that's also used in Mark chapter 7 when he talks about this man being mute. It's the only time that word is used in the New Testament. And when the Hebrew was translated into English, it's the only time that word was used in the Old Testament. So there's a time together here when Jesus sets this man free. This is the sign that Messiah has come. The kingdom is here. It's time to celebrate the glory of God. So this is where we get and I, I want you to see because this, this sermon's a little bit different. I want you to see the application I'm about to make and why it is the right application for this word. We've seen miracle after miracle after miracle of Jesus. And we're about to see more as we walk through this beautiful gospel of Mark. But, but, but on this one, I, I want you to see a, a, a spiritual application to your lives. It's a physical miracle that Jesus does. It embodies the fact that he is indeed Messiah, but it points forward to a time where everyone will hear and everyone will speak to the glory of God. So here's the application. Here's what I want you to get. Is hearing God the priority of your life? Not is it a priority. Not is it somewhat important, very important, but is it the priority? That font for thee is in bold and it is 110 font on my PowerPoint. I want you to get the point. The application is this, is hearing God the priority for your life. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O church. Hear, O people of God. Hear. God is a speaking God. Hear, hear me, says the Lord. Hear me, says the Lord. But here's the question before we get to some practical answers here. Why does hearing from God seem to be so hard? Before I get to that, let me just say a few words about why often hearing from God is not the priority of our life. If we'll be honest, our lives are crowded out with so many other things. With work, with school, with careers, with relationships, with financial goals. All those are good things. There's other things that maybe aren't as important. Music, clothes, video games could be kind of important but not as important as those other things. Politics, social media, then things that are very important, children, family, marriage, church, 
and ministry, all those things are important. But if they become the priority over hearing from God, you will never accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish in this life. You'll leave it on the table. You'll leave it on the table because you didn't hear from the Lord. You didn't follow the path that he gave you. Our God is a speaking God. He wants to speak to us. So but why does it seem to be so hard? Answer number one, it's hard because of our indwelling sin. We've got too much cerebin up in our spiritual ears. Amen. Um, our indwelling sin keeps us from going after the things of God. God speaks to us and we faintly hear him and say, I don't want any part with that. God challenges us, all of us, in our sin. God challenges us and calls us to walk with him. God calls us and challenges us to reprioritize our lives. God calls us and challenges us in so many different ways. And when it's hard, we often give him the Heisman Trophy look. Stay away. Stay away. Stay at arm's length, God. That's a little too much. Now you're dealing, now you're getting too much into my business. Amen. Listen, if you walk with God, he's going to get all up in your business. Amen. He needs to be in your business. He needs to be in my business. There is no place in our lives where we have a right to say not here. God is coming into every area of our lives. What parts of God's kingdom narrative do you not want to hear? That's our indwelling sin. Secondly, our deafening culture. There is just so much noise. Somebody say amen. amen. There's so much noise. I got a new best friend the last couple of years. I, this, this guy, he, he's wonderful. Um, he calls me more than anyone. He calls me more than my wife calls me. Calls me more than Pastor Tim calls. He calls me more than anyone. Maybe you have this same friend. His name is Scam Likely. <laughs> Has anyone gotten a call from Scam Likely? Amen. If you have a cell phone, then, well, I don't need to explain it, but Scam Likely calls me all the time. Right? A, a couple months ago, we got a new doorbell on our house. And it's a doorbell that I thought, wow, this is fancy stuff. This is great stuff. It's, it's got a camera in it and it can detect when someone comes to the door. And I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is good security for the fam. I'll get this new fancy doorbell. We also got one for next door. Bless them with that new doorbell. And I said, this is great. Then for weeks, it seemed like every five minutes I would get Something from the doorbell. Bing! Here it is again. Like, can I turn this off? I don't want to turn it completely off. I don't know what to do. I finally figured out some things because the camera goes way out. So 
somebody's next door, somebody's walking on the side, and it's getting everybody and dinging all the time. And it's just too much. And I finally narrowed down the camera and did some other things. But uh, there's just too much noise. Cell phones and social media and, uh, and, and, and emails and texts. And now, uh, what's it called? Our new thing? Slack. Slack. Taking up more slack in my life. Amen. There's just so many things and we're overwhelmed by it. But, but, but here's what I, I want to say to us. We've got to be careful. Our culture is deafening. But sometimes we listen to Google more than we listen to God. We listen to Google. You can get any answer to any question immediately. Don't need an encyclopedia. Don't need anything else. Just go right to Google. And I do that a lot. Sometimes we listen to Google more than we listen to God. But here's what's even worse. We consider it a more authoritative source. Google said. Alexa said. Siri said. We have so much knowledge. So many things at our fingertips all the time. And yet, I look at the mess that our world is in. And here's what I'm coming to realize. I'm coming to grips with that sin really is just that bad. It really is a mess. More knowledge does not mean more wisdom. And it certainly doesn't mean following God more. Amen? Our lack our deafening culture. And the third thing, this terminology is from my son who is much smarter than me. I'll try to pronounce it correctly. Our lack of epistemological humility. Why does hearing from God seem so hard? What do I mean by epistemological humility? I ask my son, here's what he means. We think we know more than we actually do. And we're proud about it. We're not a curious people because we've got the answers. And for many younger people, that is driving people away from the church. It's driving, you say, well, if that's the place where the answers are, shouldn't people want the answers? People do want answers. People are looking for answers. I know some things because I'm a Christian. I know that Jesus Christ came in the form of a man, yet was fully divine and fully human. I know that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. I know that he died a death on the cross for my sin. I know that he got up out of the grave on the third day with all power in his hands. I know that he ascended to the Father, sent, out, sent down the Spirit, and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. I know that. But I also know that there's way more mystery in God and way more mystery in this world than things I actually understand. And when we act as if because I've got just the right uh, theology books and I have the, the, the right uh, uh, theology and I've got everything down, I know it all, no more mystery, mystery solved. It pushes people away because... Here's why. Because they know it's not real. Yeah. If Job isn't, Job's experience isn't real to you, 
then you're not living in this world. Now, thank God, I haven't had to go through what Job goes through, but the story of Job is not God's answers, but it's God saying, there's questions. I'm not going to tell you all of this now. Yeah. When we act like we know it all, we actually push people who are looking for the kingdom away from the kingdom. Okay. Our lack of epistemological humility. So here are some practical ways to hear from God. Number one, spending daily undistracted time in God's presence. I hear a bunch of people saying right now, you don't know my life. Undistracted time. Do you know what my life looks like? And I can say this, I may not know exactly what your life looks like. In fact, I know I don't know exactly what your life looks like. But I will say this, if you're pressing into God and making Him the priority of your life, you will find that time. Pastor, I don't have a place for that. You don't know how small my apartment is, my house is, the kids are here, this is going on. You do have a place. You have a place already. You just have to find the right time to be in that place. It's not easy, y'all. This is a fight. This is countercultural. Getting alone, undistracted time with God on a consistent basis. I said on a daily basis, look, we probably all mess that up sometimes. Just because you mess up one day or two days doesn't mean you can't come back on day three and say, here I am, Lord. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry I was away for a little bit. How do you do that? Reading God's word, listening to the preached word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Spending time actually listening in prayer, in silence. I think maybe many times in our evangelical Protestant uh, traditions, we, silence is not a part of it. But we need to have time of silence before God. Christian meditation, journaling, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. God calls us to those still places. Number two, consistently placing all of your hopes, all of your plans, all of your joys, and all of your disappointments before God. Put it all before Him. Give it to Him raw. He can take it. Give Him your lament. He can take it. Give Him your doubt. He can take it. Give Him your rage. He can take it. Give Him your joy. He wants to hear it. Give Him the, the thing that you glory that. He wants to hear it all. Bring it all to Him. Practical ways to hear from God. Number three, this is important, prioritizing community. Christian community in particular, that you process your life with. Life groups are not simply meant to be a place that we go and do a Bible study once a week and maybe get a little grub and pray for each other. It is meant to be a place where we're growing in deeper relationships 
with one another, where we're sharing our lives with one another, where we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling together in community. I need what you have. I need your input. I don't make decisions in my life independently and just bring it to the community and say, this is what I've decided, but I bring my wrestle to the community. I bring my struggle to the community and I work it out with others as well. Prioritizing community that you process your life with, your struggles with. I thank God for life groups here where I see that being done all over the place. When we bring our brokenness and our prayer requests to one another, we are processing our lives with brothers and sisters in Christ. Saying, I can't handle it myself. And God says, I never wanted you to. Amen. Number four, developing deep and accountable relationships with mature believers. This can be part of number three, but it can also be a little bit different. This is a, a smaller group, sometimes one-on-one. Maybe it's a discipleship group, an accountability group with just a few. Maybe it's a relationship with a therapist, perhaps uh, with a, another mature believer. Could be a pastor, elder, deacon. Could just be anyone who is mature and has maybe walked a few steps ahead of you in the faith that you want to be around, to get around, to, to, to receive from. Yesterday, I had the great privilege and honor of going to see our own Pastor Tim Bathurst graduate from a program of spiritual direction. Amen. told me a little bit about it even this morning. It's different than just seeing a therapist. It's different than counseling because what's, what, what spiritual direction is, is attempting to do is to get you to see how God is speaking to you in the moment. We need that. We need that. Some of you might even want to get some of that from Pastor Tim. Amen? But spiritual direction. Developing Deep and accountable relationships with mature believers. We all need it. And then finally, living with a posture of spiritual poverty and humility. This ties back to why it's so hard and that lack of epistemological humility. Here, we're looking at it the other way, but it is living with a posture of spiritual poverty. In other words, saying, here I am, Lord. I am the one in need. You'd be mistaken if you think a pastor or elder, or deacon, or bishop, or prophet, or preacher, or evangelist, if they are beyond that simple need of saying, God, help me, I'm bankrupt, I need you, I need you today, I need you now. We live with that sense of spiritual poverty and humility before God. We need to leave behind this idea that we know it all. Let me close with this. This isn't on the board. But the two greatest signs 
that you are hearing from God? How do I know if I'm hearing from God? Number one, well, let me say this first of all. Here's what it's not. You figured out all the nuances of systematic theology and now you understand God. You got it. You understand it. He's in your box and you're good to go. That's not what it is that you're hearing from God. But it's two things. Number one, you're clinging to him more and more consistently. Even, even during difficult times, trials, tests, you're going to him. You're not running to your go-to idol, your addiction, your comfort food, you're zoning out in trial, difficulty, in hardship, you run to him. The second one is this. You're loving other people well. Especially those you don't agree with or who may come against you. You're learning not to return evil for evil. You're stopping yourself before you say what is in your heart. Yesterday I told my wife twice, I just thought something. I'm so glad I didn't say it. <laughs> have you been there? And you, have you been on the other side where you did say it and said, oops? But as we walk closer with our God, as we hear his voice we're able to love we're able to care for we don't return evil for evil but we love those even who hurt us now I, I can say that word for some of you that is a hard word I get it because you've been hurt deeply you've been abused you've been used you've been wronged but let me tell you that God who has forgiven you of all your sins is able to work in your heart in such a way that you can set others free. Holding on to them won't change them. Holding on to bitterness won't change anyone. It will only make you a captive to that. But as we sit and soak in the presence of our good and mighty God, we will be able to love with a love that we've never imagined before. God help us to be a hearing people, a listening people, people who hear God's voice with clarity, looking to obey and to follow Him and to enter into the wonder of the journey that he has us on as he is redeeming us from our sin and from our shame and bringing us into his glorious presence. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think and nothing and no one can stop this hand. Brothers and sisters, I ask you this, this week, make time and make hearing from God the priority of your life. Let me pray.
Father God, we thank you. to reach out to our church for more information or if there's some way we can pray for you please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net may the lord richly bless you this week